You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Place where you can fill in the blanks. So go ahead and do that. So here's, here's what I'd like you to do. Not only finding your bulletin, but open your Bible if you would. If you have a Bible today, if you don't, there's Bibles around this building. Open your Bible to the book of Malachi. Now some of you are saying, where in the world is Malachi? Let me tell you where it's at. It's the last book in the Old Testament. So man, we got you off easy today. Go to the last book of the Old Testament. If you go to Matthew, you've gone too far. Stay with the other M, Malachi. And that's the last book of the Old Testament. We're going to look at Malachi today, Malachi chapter 3. And so that's what we're going to do. Malachi is considered a a minor prophet, and it has nothing to do with what Malachi has to say. In fact, Malachi says some pretty, pretty strong things. And the theme of the voice of Malachi is return to God. He's talking to God's people about returning to him that they had wandered, that they had strayed. And he's saying with a loud voice, a distinct voice, he's saying, return to God. It's it's about four chapters long. The name Malachi means messenger of God. It's appropriate, isn't it? Uh, The messenger of Yahweh. Uh, He's considered a contemporary with Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, And that's why I'm so excited about going through this just a little bit. And then next year beginning of next year in january we're going to walk through the book of nehemiah together so we're just gonna there's something going on we want to pay attention to and here's what we want to do we want to pay attention to god's word malachi spoke to god's people again who were wandering their leaders were arrogant and they were forgetting their duties uh families were falling apart primarily because the jewish men were divorcing their wives and marrying outside of the faith So you can see there's problems here in family as well. And and their worship was really half-hearted as as their temple uh, was underfunded because they had lost interest in God. They didn't keep the passion of God stirred up. And it was reflected in how they kept the temple of God. You see, that's a lot of times what happens in our own life. It's how we're feeling and what we're sensing emotionally. And, And if we're on a downhill slide, other things are pretty apparent. Well, this was true about the time of Malachi. And God responds to them, and he responds to them through the voice and words of Malachi, and he says, return to me. He said, here it is, return to me. God says, the answer isn't your religion. The answer is not your politics. The answer is not your economy. The answer is really return to me. Isn't that the answer always in relationship with God? <laughs> that when you look at your life and you're wondering, why do I got certain holes in my life and why, why are there certain things happening that I feel like I'm astray or I'm a prodigal? It's always going to be this answer, return to him because he's the great restorer and he wants to have a relationship with us. That's really at the heart of God It's to have a relationship with you and me. You know, there are times that I'll go through and I'll study God's word. And I really dig in to find the jewels, the gems. And, and, and there's times it can, take, it can take hours. You know, just opening the word of God, I love it. I love looking, looking for those things that God would want to say to me and maybe some things he wants to say to you. But there are other times that I just open the Bible and it's just standing as clear as day. Not, not a lot of searching, but just seeing it standing right in front of me. That's what happened when I opened the book of Malachi to share with you today. I noticed something about the pattern found in the book of Malachi. I realized that our church right now for the last few months have been operating in the same pattern as the book of Malachi. This is really incredible to me. Now, let me show you what I mean. Uh, In chapter 1, Malachi says, return to God in your faith. 
That's what chapter one is about. Now, if you noticed around here, there have been a lot of things going on. People coming to faith in Christ Jesus. A few weeks back, we baptized 19 believers in Jesus. That is amazing to see what God's doing and how he's stirring things up. And I want to point your attention to one place in particular. There's something going on in our recovery community right now. Uh, God is working in our recovery community. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I get excited. So chapter 1, Malachi talks about return to God in our faith. Chapter 2 is return to God in our families. Well, we just finished, what, a six, eight-week series on family life. What does family relations look like? And how in those relationships do we really honor God? You see where I'm going with this? This is so great. I mean, this was, this was amazing for me to come up with this and say, wow, Lord, this is really what you're doing. This is how you're leading us. And then chapter three is return to God in our finances. And so this weekend and next weekend, that's what we're going to talk about. And then you go to chapter four of Malachi. And what does God say? He says, God says, hey, when you return to me, I return to you. So God returns. He returns to us. And then there's a silence. After the book of Malachi, there's 400 years of silence. What happens is the New Testament opens with the Gospel of Matthew announcing Jesus Christ. God comes to us in the flesh, incarnate. He comes to us and he saves us and he brings life to us. So here's where where we are today in the process. We're talking about returning to God, returning to God in our finances. What I know is this is not always a popular subject, but this is so close to our worship we need to discuss it. It has everything to do with my heart. In fact, when Jesus talks about our money, when he talks about our finances, you'll notice directly related to that is your heart, your disposition in worship. It's interesting how those things come together. So here's the reality that I've recognized, and we probably look around and see the same thing. In our humanness, we are born getters and not givers. Say amen to that. I mean, we are born getters and not givers. That's just our nature. In the day of Malachi... The word tithe had become a four-letter word with five letters. And you talk about that today, and it might actually carry some of the same kind of feelings, some of the same kind of emotions. But here's what I recognize. I recognize that statistically that tithe begins to disappear, not with those who have less, but amazingly with those that have more. Isn't that interesting? The same was true during the time of Malachi. Because they were living during a time where they flourished, they were profiting, that there was remarkable things happening in their community. They were being restored. J- Jerusalem and the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, and they began to flourish again. And what happened in that time of flourishing, at least as far as their commerce was concerned, they started to wane in their commitment of giving. I see that here. I see that in the time that we live. And I think one of the reasons is this. One of the reasons is when we start to profit, When we start to make money, when we start to grow in that area, nothing wrong with that. But here's what can happen. We can actually take ownership of that and not give the credit and glory to God. See, one of the things we'll say, I know know we're tempted to do this. When we see business growing and we're we're seeing our our checkbook grow, uh, I think one of the things that we think about is I know best how to manage my money. See, I think that's the phrase, and we might not say that out loud, but because I've gotten more, and maybe I've profited over and over again, I say, hey, now I know how to do this. You see what I'm saying? Now I know best on how to manage my money. And I would say this to you. 
You might be right if you assume that it's your money. See, that's the assumption. What we assume is it's our money. And we leave God out of the formula. You see, we leave God out of the equation. And God is wanting to insert himself in the middle of your life, your heart, your finances, everything. This is where God wants to be, right at the center. You see, returning to God in our finances is where we have this tendency to compartmentalize. Especially when we make more money, we want to compartmentalize. We need to remember that God does not compartmentalize. When God looks at you, he sees the whole of you. He doesn't say, well, yeah, I'm going to put this over here. I see the financial part of you and see the spiritual part of you and I see the social part of you. No, God sees all of you. So God does not compartmentalize when we look at him because God is not a compartmentalized God. We worship him, the Bible says, with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. See, I can't separate him from my finances. If you ever go through the parables when Jesus is teaching, there are about 40 parables. What you're going to notice when you go through those parables is that out of the 40 parables Jesus teaches, 11 uh, 11 of them have to do with your financial resources. Isn't that amazing? 11. It's over one quarter. So to put it in perspective, if I taught or preached on money one-fourth of the time, That would be at least 10 Sundays a year, and I would imagine most of you would leave. (laughs) That that is a possibility. That is a possibility, because sometimes what happens is we leave not because it's not the truth, but because it's too convicting. (laughs) It's getting way too close to home. See, I would be known more as a money grabber if I taught that way, and less of a Jesus follower. Because what we would do is we would put a label on that. Wow, guy's going after this. He spent 10 Sundays talking about money. That guy's a money grabber instead of a Jesus follower. But this is the model Jesus gave us. Jesus associated this with our heart. So listen, I get the conflict. I understand the environment. I understand the winds of time, especially given the fact that many church leaders have been seduced by money and are money grabbers. I'm not going to be the one that judges that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take care of what God wants me to take care of right here in my heart. And oftentimes that is related to my resources. It's related to the money that I have. You know, I can confidently say that we are here in this community, this church community, not to grab anyone's money, but to fulfill the Great Commission. We talk about the Great Commission constantly. Whether you know it or not, we might not quote it right out of Matthew 28, but we'll rephrase it in a lot of different ways so that we can hear the Great Commission. Hey, what are we here to do? We're here to make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. That's just a short way of giving to you the Great Commission. So we look for ways to talk about the Great Commission. Friday night, we had our CBC banquet. Beautiful time at Willamette Valley Country Club. What did we talk about there? We talked about the Great Commission. I mean, that's about all we talked about. For those that were there, you would say, yeah, that's what we talked about. We talked about people's lives changed, dramatically transformed because of what the Word of God is doing in their life as they apply themselves to the discipline of studying God's Word. That's why we have Canby Bible College. That's why we do MTI. That's why we have adult discipleship. If you'll notice, the lay of land around here is about discipleship, and it always is related to the Great Commission. Always. 
always related to what God wants to do to save men and women and boys and girls. We talk about that a lot. What we do have and what you do see here around this place isn't because anyone was a money grabber. It's because of God's blessing. See, and and I don't want you ever to confuse those things because there are times that we'll say, well, look at that. Look at what these people have or those people have. It isn't because they've been money grabbers altogether. It's because God blessed It's a wonderful thing for me because I know the history and the story of what God has done in your life and how he's used you to touch the nations for Jesus Christ. I have a unique perspective and one of the things that I'm able to see is God's blessing is all over you. God's blessing to give to others, to bless others is true worship. It honors him. See, true worship to God doesn't exclude your money. Instead, it will always include your money. Why? Because, again, it's directly related to your heart condition. Because by nature, I'll say it again, we are what? Getters? Say that out loud. We're getters and not givers. Just by nature. So we look for loopholes. (laughs) You know, when it has to come to, you know, that being blessed, well, God's going to bless me and he's promised me this. Man, I tell you, there are, there are people around that will say, there are no loopholes in that. It's really clear. But when it comes to the giving part, they'll say, oh, there are loopholes. Because we look for loopholes. When, when, we're, when we're prone to get and not give, you'll always look for loopholes. You look for loopholes in giving especially. What's the technicality? What's my out? What can I get away with? For someone who's growing in Jesus, the question isn't those questions or those set of questions. The question is usually, what should I do to please God? Now that's the question. This is a big deal. Because here's what Malachi says in chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Listen to what he says. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I'm constant to keep you safe. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? I don't change because I want to keep you safe. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. I will pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough in the storehouse. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I love that. And I'm going to tell you something. There's more than just giving of resources here. This is about giving of our heart. And when we give our heart to God, what follows is our resources. And that's the point Malachi is making here. If you look at verse 8, Uh, Listen to what verse 8 says again. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are you robbing? How are we robbing you, God? How are we doing this? (laughs) This is just, uh, (laughs) this again is the wrong question. I think we should respond to God by saying, Lord, we repent. How do we please you? 
But I think that question is kind of a deflection, isn't it? Tell us, God, we want to know. Come on, be particular with us. Tell us, be specific with us. Well, he does. He gets specific here. But it's interesting uh, what we want to do. We want to say, how do I get away with something here? Instead, what should I do to please God? In verse 10, I love the phrase, and we use this. You've probably heard this taught on it. It says, test me in this. What God's saying is, I'm going to throw down the gauntlet here. If you don't believe this works, go ahead and do it, and let's see what happens. You know what I like about this? It's when you test him in this area, it says that he'll throw open the floodgates. Now, I like this, and I'll tell you why, because there's more to this than just the floodgates of heaven being poured out on me in such a way, but it's poured out to overflowing. Do you notice what it says there? See, you know how you know God is at work? It's when it's overflowing. When the Holy Spirit's at work, it's overflowing. You can't contain it. You don't have the ability. Not one person, not one church has the ability to contain or keep what God has. What I like about this is what God is saying is, I'm going to let you be a steward of not only what's coming to you personally, I want you to steward the overflow. I love that. And so what do we do? We, we, we bless others. That's been our heritage here. That's been our history here is that there's an overflow and we continue to to bless others with that. Listen, we cannot talk about true worship to God without talking about our finances. Now I want you to see what I'm going to put up here. I want you to remember this statement. It's never about the dollar. It's always about devotion. Just say that with me. It's never about the dollars. It's always about the devotion. Now, when I think about something like that, there's a conviction that comes in my heart because I can apply that to almost anything that I do. So what I want to do is just cover just a few biblical truths with you about tithing. Three biblical truths about tithing. They're very simple, very straightforward. Number one is this. Tithing is all about trusting. It's all about trusting. Listen to what it says in verses 6 and 7. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have have turned away from me and my decrees and have not kept them returned to me, and I will return to you, says the, the Lord Almighty. I think what I like about this is this goes way back. What is God doing? And he'll do this with you. He kind of recounts your history with him. That's what he's doing. He's going back to Jacob, and he's saying, hey, I've got a good history with you. I've always been faithful to you. Do you can you pick out anywhere in our history together that I failed you? And I think that's a great question for us to ask ourselves. You know, sometimes we might feel a bit let down. Sometimes we might feel a little doubt in our lives. I think all those things are normal. But when you look at the spectrum of God, if you could do that, you would say this. He's never let you down. He's never failed you. His promises are yea and amen. So this is what Malachi is asking these people to do. He's saying, go back and think about your history with him. And I'm going to just ask all of you to do the same thing. You each have a unique history, a journey with God in all of this. Maybe some of you have not intersected the life of Jesus yet, and you want to. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. That's where the history can start. For you, he's been with you a long time. See, But here's what we do. We say, Lord, I want to... I want to follow you. You have a history that goes back and it's perfect. You are a God that can be trusted. So there's no reason for me to panic, you see. 
Because I can guarantee right now, if you're going through a hard time with your finances, I guarantee that God is not sitting in his boardroom having a panic discussion with the board members. He's just not panicked over all this. Because he's looking at you saying, I got it. I got it. I got this. God wants you to know that he can be counted on. The Lord does not change. Here's who changes. It's me. You change. I change. We do change, don't we? I mean, that's why he says, I'm constant. And listen, if you did this, if you took a snapshot of God back in the day of Malachi, if you were able to, and you put a snapshot of God up today, the way he looks today in that period of time, he hasn't changed. Not one bit. My buddy and I were sitting out on his deck a couple months ago, and he he had this app, and he says, hey, look at this app. I said, what is it? He says, well, we're going to take a picture of each other, and, and this app puts like 15 or 20 years on you. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, you want to see what you're going to look like in 15 or 20 years? So, so here's, here's what I look like in 15 or 20 years right here. <laughs> Still true to the Dodgers, though. There you go. <laughs> see, that's what I'm going to look like as time goes on. But if you were to take a snapshot of God, if you could do that, there's no change. There's no wavering. He does not diminish in character. He does not diminish in his love for you. He does not diminish in his provision for you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our life changes, and I'm so thankful that his life is constant. So look at the word decree degree with me just for a moment. Decree is the word in verse 7 that I want you to pay attention to. We need, I think we need to understand this word because it tells us how important tithing is. God is telling us that this is a best practice. Whenever God or the word is used, decree, it means, hey, I'm telling you right now this is a best practice for you. I'm going to give you a best practice. Why does God do this for us? Well, look at the phrase, return to me. You see, God is telling us that when tithing is a best practice, we get closer to the heart of God. That's all he's saying. You want to really know me? Then you've got to know my generosity. How many, how many have experienced the generosity of God? I, I have, just to my salvation. One of the greatest verses on the planet about generosity is John 3, 16. God so loved that he did what? He gave, he gave, he gave. You see, so I've experienced the generosity of God, and if you're connecting with God and you want to know the heart of God in a deeper way, you have to connect with generosity. You don't get out from under this. If I'm to reflect, if Jesus in me is the hope of glory in the communities I live in, I need to live a generous life. Now, strategically benevolent. That's what I always tell people. Be strategically benevolent. But I have to live a a generous life. God's saying a best practice here is when you tithe, you get close to the generous heart of God. So literally, the word decree means a clear communication of what someone should do. An accepted practice, a prescription of ordinary behavior. This isn't something out of the ordinary. This isn't something God just invented for you to, to, to make your life uncomfortable. This has been around a long time. <laughs> so what God's saying here is this is an ordinary behavior of those that, that, that are dedicated, devoted to me, an ordinary behavior. So how many parents have found out this? Have you found out that there are instructions that you keep repeating over and over to your kids? Have you... You know, parents, you know that you keep saying the same thing. I mean, it's like, man, you know, I just remember hearing the same instructions in my home. Then I found out I'm saying the same things 
that I, my dad and mom said, and then I found out my kids are saying the same thing to my grandkids, that it, it's, tr- it's, it's, it's in our bloodline. We just keep repeating the same thing over and over. The most often repeated phrase is, have you heard this one? Clean your room. 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 And you know full well it's, not gonna, it's really not going to happen altogether. you just got to stay on it. you got to just keep talking about it. I mean, there have been times I've walked into my kid's room, and I just told them to clean their room, gave them some time, enough time to get the job done. I walked in. It looked like a bomb went off. You know what I do? I call them all to me. You know, I say, hey, come here. i got to tell you something. Whoever cleaned your room, you need to fire them right now because they did an awful job. And they're going, I say, it's you, isn't it? I said, I'd fire you. <laughs> and they go, okay, we'll get back in. But clean your room. Clean your room was the most repeated instruction. You, you, you see this happening in Scripture. In Scripture, God has something he repeats over and over again. Not because he's mad at you. Not because he's upset at you. But because he knows it's really important for his kids' sake. He knows there's a truth here. He knows there's something fundamental that he needs to keep repeating so your soul is healthy, so your spirit is healthy, so your body is healthy. So he keeps repeating it. Why? Because we are getters and not givers. So he keeps repeating the same thing over and over. When we tithe, we're saying we trust that our Father knows what's best for his children. He repeats that to me. He keeps talking to me about it. So I'm thinking, okay, I need to pay attention here. He's not mad at me. He loves me. And because he loves me, he says these things. And then the second truth about tithing is this. Tithing is biblical. Malachi uh, 3, 8 through 10 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are you, we robbing you? In tithes and offering. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be a food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if this isn't something that I don't throw back the floodgates of heaven. Pour out much blessing on you so there's room to overflowing. That's what he says here. Now, I don't think people intentionally try to rob God, which explains the question, how are you robbing me? (laughs) Or how am I robbing you, God? How am I doing that? Verse 10, God uses... The word bring. I want you to, if you, if you feel good about underlining things in your Bible, it's a very seemingly innocuous word. Would you just put, underline bring? Bring is a key word here, especially in the Hebrew. A key word to understanding this passage. God uses the word bring. He doesn't use the word give. Oh, there's something interesting here. God says, bring the whole tithe. You see, the word give implies that that it's been yours. The word bring implies that it's not yours. You, You were in possession of it, but you don't own it. See, bring implies the whole thing. It implies that God is working. Uh, Give says that, hey, I own it. Bring implies that it's already and always will be God's. So he's just saying when he says bring, he's saying, hey, just bring me what's already mine. You don't own it. Just, it's mine. Just bring it to me. Just bring it to me. It doesn't say give it to me. The key word used in this passage 
and he uses this, is the word tithe. And that's where we all get hung up a little bit. But it means this, the first tenth of the whole. God uses the word first or first fruits 30 times in Scripture. When it's the first, it is the tithe. Hear me on this. When it's the first, it is the tithe. When it is the last, it is a tip. We might have more tippers than tithers, I don't know. It's the leftovers. It's like, okay, I'm taking care of everything first. I won't, not God. I'm going to take care of everything. Then I'm going to give what's left over. Folks, that's called tipping. You, you do that at your restaurants, you know. It's like, I, I pay the bill first, and then I, what do I got here? I could afford to give 15% or 20 or, you know, whatever. I'll give that. That's the leftovers. God says, that's not the way that I want you to live as my children. I want you to reverse that. I want you to come and give me the first fruits. See, what he uses is the word curse. And everyone goes, look, God's cursing people. God didn't curse anyone here. Read it again. That's not what God says. It's, it doesn't say God curse you. It says there's a curse upon you. It doesn't say at whose hand, because it wasn't certainly at God's hand. This is pretty strong language, but what is a curse? It's simply the consequences of ignoring God's decree. That is a curse. Following me? So God didn't put that upon you. Guess what? I put it upon myself. It's because I'm not being obedient. I'm not following the best practices of God in the word. So God does not say I curse you. It's simply the consequences of ignoring God's best practices. So here's what I hear people say about tithing often. Well, when you talk about tithe, Ryan, you know what you're doing? You're really talking about the law. You know, it's pretty legalistic. You're talking about the law. Well, let's look at it just for a second. Because it started way before the law. Tithing, actually, through the Bible, begins in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. Melchizedek came, and Abram at the time, name not changed yet, was to give him 10% of his first fruits. Melchizedek is actually recognized as an incarnation of Christ, he is the high priest. Imagine that. Abram got to give, got to give Melchizedek 10%. That's crazy. That's remarkable. Melchizedek representing the incarnation of Jesus. So it starts there, 500 years before the law. And then in Genesis 28, 22, Jacob, 400 years before the law, is instructed and does the same thing. Leviticus 27, verse 30. The law is now given and they're told in the law. 500 years after tithe started, was instituted. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, this is something you should do. You should do this. And then Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8 says, the early church affirms tithing in community. I've heard people say this. I've heard people say, you know, we just, I'd just love to go back to the early church. I just want to live like the early church. You couldn't handle it. You couldn't handle it because tithe was the minimum. It was the low bar. Read Acts. They were giving away their homes. They were giving away their, their treasures. They were, they were doing all these kind of things. I mean, I, I, I look at that and I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do, go back there because that's a, that was a, a sacrificial time with joy. They did this with joy under the influence and power of God's Holy Spirit. But what they say is, hey, just the church needs to affirm that and reaffirm that. Tithing is connected to both the Old and New Testament. It's passed down to us, and it is involves the local church. 
See, your tithe helps create the launch pad to make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. That's what this is about. In community, in regions around the world, this is how it works. Generosity is the best delivery system of the gospel that I know. God was generous with us when he gave his son. That was the vehicle. That was the implement. That was the delivery system. It was his generous heart and love that brought the gospel to you. How do we get the gospel to others? Same way. Generous heart of love. Extending. That's how it happens. And it happens around the world that way. And then the last thing is this. Tithing is a blessing. In Malachi 3, 10 through 12, it says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. I want you to pay attention to a few words here, a few phrases. Go down with me a little further in verse 10. It says, and I will throw open the floodgates of heaven. Wow. And then go down to verse 11. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. See what he's saying? And then verse 12, your land will be de- delightful. Now, those three things capture my attention there. Because he's saying something that's way beyond us. He's saying something that's way beyond anything that we could procure, anything that we could actually accomplish on our own. I mean, when you try to accomplish things on your own, it may look like it's a floodgate, but you're in it for a little while and you recognize it dries up fast. Why? Because it's finite and so are you. What I see here is a promise not only to the people that are here in this generation, he's making a promise to future generations. Please hear this. My giving, my tithing, is not just about me. My tithing is about my children and my children's children and their children's children. My grandfather was um, in his 40s working during the Depression. Some of you heard this before. He's out in a bean field by himself just plowing, you know, just minding his own business. He's a fighter, cusser, smoker, drinker, brawler. That was my grandpa. I mean, and, and, and he's on this tractor and he hears somebody speaking to him. He hears a voice. And he gets off the tractor and he thinks someone's messing with him. And so he's, he gets off the tractor and he's looking for somebody to punch. And he doesn't see anybody. He gets back on the tractor. He see, hears the same voice again. Gets off the tractor. He wants to fight. Gets on. Doesn't see anyone. He hears the same voice. His soul knows who it is. His spirit knows it's God speaking to him. You know what he does the third time? He gets off the tractor. He doesn't want to fight. He gets down on his knees and he gives his life to Jesus Christ. I mean, he doesn't take the tractor home. He runs through the bean field to go tell his wife, who had been praying for him, by the way. Same lady who's prayed for me over the years. Runs to his wife. Here's what he says. He says, okay, from now on, this is my grandpa, and he holds it. He says, from now on, I'm not smoking. From now on, I'm not drinking. Here's the great miracle. He says, and today we start to tithe. That was the bigger miracle than smoking and drinking. That day, his life changed and he never went back. Because of his faithfulness, was passed on to my father, passed on to me, passed on to my children, and is being passed on to their children's children. Please understand this. When we give our tithe and our offering. It's not just about me. It's about making a way for a generation that's coming. And I tell you, I'm so passionate about that. It is the greatest adventure that we can be part of. We get to be investors in the greatest thing on the planet, and that's God's kingdom here on earth. That's what we're called to do. Would you bow your head with me?
Father, I want to thank you today for being so generous to, uh, to me and to all of us in this place. And I'm just going to ask this. Lord, would you open our eyes to your generosity where we don't see it altogether? Maybe we become self-absorbed. Maybe circumstances have, have um, caused our finances to be a lot thinner than normal. Um, that doesn't change who you are. You're still the provider. You're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Lord, I just pray that our eyes would be open to your generosity. And, Lord, that we would, we would continue with passion bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that's in desperate need. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your work. We ask that you bless us and keep us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.